0: 60,000 soldiers.
1: Now there ain't but 20,000 police in the whole town. Can you dig it? Can you dig it?
0: Can you dig it?
1: Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Ryan, how are you? Uh, I am doing fantástico. Uh, wow, well,
0: just no conflict in our life in this episode.
1: No conflict. Can you dig it? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I can dig it. And that's when the and I can bark it. Too. Listening. Or oh, can you bark it? <laughs> yes. That's when the listening people clap and point and say, "Hey, they reference a the thing I know." The famous can can you bark it line uh, and also the can you dig it line. Well,
0: if, if you don't cut out the beginning of this recording, you'll also hear me say let's play, eh? So. <laughs>
1: let's, he, Bartek did say that right before recording. If I keep it in, which I won't, you hear it now anyway. So there it is. And you will <laughs> never be able to use it again in the episode. Sorry, you wasted your shot. And that was
0: my way of tricking Ryan and editing to work.
1: Nope. So we are Spin Polish Presents because we are always spitting and we both happen to be Polish. And we talk about movies. Uh, We have a cycle where we recommend things. So the recommendation cycle is Bartek over there. That's him. That's the other guy. He recommends a movie one week, then the next week... I recommend a movie, and then the one after that is a recommendation from you, the listening people. That's right, you, the listening people, can indeed recommend movies. Uh, you can email us over at spitandpolished at gmail.com or get to our social medias, Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. Hit us up and just say, hey, hey, feel- do this movie. <laughs> it feels
0: like we're ending the episode. Do you? this movie. <laughs> we don't talk about it this Do <laughs> this
1: movie. And I add it to the list, or Bartek adds it to the list, and we leave it sitting there for a while until we eventually say, hey, you want this one? Yeah, I'll do this one. But Bartek, it is your cycle. It is your turn on the wheel, the wheel of misery or joy, depending what you got. The, the
0: wheel of fate is turning, yeah.
1: Mm. So what was the film that you pitched our way
0: I went with a film from, I think it was 1979, called The Warriors.
1: And it is a movie (laughs) that we have now watched. Yeah. So if you, the listening people out there, have not seen The Warriors from 1979, we both say to you, watch it. Uh, And then you can now hear us... Talk about it in full. This isn't the most uh, plot heavy movie ever made. It's very simple. It's a uh, getting from A to B in the course of one night story. But what really makes the Warriors stand out and is. The world that these characters inhabit the the gangs, the looks, mm, yeah. the designs, then the mood the setting and the style, very much so the attitudes that the people here have, the Tude the Tude, so that is the warriors now, let's get into our history's relationship and uh what we thought of the movie now. I have seen this a few times before, I had this on video back in the day, my parents had a copy of it, so I've seen this uh, quite a few times, I've always enjoyed it well enough. This lives very much in that camp with stuff like Mad Max, for instance, where it has minimal dialogue. It's about the action, the mood, the tone, the world, and there's always a time and place to watch things like that. And so uh this isn't one I've this isn't as um viewable to me as something like Mad Max, but in all fairness there's three there was three Mad Max movies now, four. Well, there's only one of this, and so I would always gravitate towards Mad Max, for instance, because it has things I know and like. Oh, landscape, and Mel Gibson's Mm. crazy, and crazy bad guy characters. Even though those movies also have minimal usage of dialogue and things of that nature, they do have very heightened characters, while here... The Warriors has always had uh, the heightened nature of them is through their aesthetics more so than necessarily their actions. The main bad guy, of course, the one who says the infamous come out to play, he has all of that energy. And Mm. we actually surprisingly get very little of him in the movie considering, but he's still... I still think he's pretty excellent. Yeah, I
0: I haven't seen the third Mad Max, but I imagine, you know, with the three available to you, there would be... They all have, like, different sort of tones going on, so there's a bit more variety there. If you're going with, oh, do I want to watch a a The Warriors film, which is only one of, or a Mad Max film, where there's probably three sort of different products of.
1: Yes, and three different time periods being made, and, you know, in terms of, like... 70s early 80s late 80s oh, mid that to would late be true it's yeah. very oh yes we haven't done the third mad max but that's the most 80s looking movie uh, it's very strange but for you you were the one that uh, said let's do the warriors so mm-hmm. please tell us all why you chose this and if you have a history with this movie
0: so i hadn't seen this movie before but i had known about it for a while um, I was telling this to you last night, um, cause we were hanging out cause we do that outside of recording, mm. um, that for all my life, like I really enjoyed like the GTA games when I was younger, like just about to be a teenager. Um, and I was playing a lot of games that were made by the people who made those games, Rockstar. Um, and they had this one that was called the Warriors and I never got around to playing it, but at the time when I was looking into it, I saw, oh, this is, uh, based on a film that exists called The Warriors, maybe one day I'll check out that movie and then maybe give this game a go. And, you know, for all those, I want to say like 16 years, uh, that game was still available to me in some form. Like, I used to see it in the shops, then I saw it like for digital download on PSN and stuff like that. Um, And I always was just in this comfortable zone of like, oh, I can eventually check out that movie and then maybe I'll check out this game because um, yeah, apparently it's like a fist fighting game and I usually enjoy those kind of beat-em-ups. Mm. Um, and I just kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And then like a week and a half ago, there was a PSN sale and I saw it was there and I once again put it off. And then last week when I was coming over here so that we can do our episode on uh, that the Son of the White Mare, I had a film prepared to recommend and then I just thought about that Warriors thing again. I thought, you know what? Let's just actually do the Warriors so I can finally see it
1: did you have an understanding of what the movie had in it, what the movie was or was about?
0: I had the basic idea of, you know, this is a street gang film with uh, street fights um, and they have all sorts of different uh, physical looks and styles to them. Um, So I had a general sort of, a, you know, serious story with like wacky elements idea, but I didn't know the general run through of it. Like the whole plot is to get from A to B kind of thing. The fact that it's pretty similar to a uh, uh other film I recommended last year, uh da romper Stompa kind yeah, of yeah. yeah. Yes.
1: Uh, obviously more wacky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's no baseball furies in Rumpa Stomper.
0: No, no. But and, there are orphans. Yeah, and our villain in this, well, our hero in this one isn't necessarily, you know, prejudiced against certain people. We could say.
1: Yes, he he isn't a piece of shit hmm. in that way. Uh, so the warriors. Yeah, we. Uh, full disclosure. I have the DVD copy of this and mm-hmm. I lent that to Bartek last night. Uh, I did mention, and Bartek was like, ah, I'll take the DVD anyway. But this has a weird thing when it comes to different cuts of the movies. So the theatrical cut is the one that people appreciate, like, give a claim to. The director's cut done by Walter Hill, uh, which adds a minute of runtime to this, I'm pretty sure. Mm, felt like it, uh, yeah. Adds no real new material, but rather new transitions, uh, which are comic book panels and comic book strip wipes and things of that nature. Uh, the thing is... That cut is the one that's the most readily available now, most d v d s most blu rays, if not all and and also most, if not all of streaming has that one, not the original theatrical cut. The humorous thing about this is Walter Hill, the director himself, has an introduction for the movie on the on the d v d he even talks about how he finds these things unnecessary. Uh, And he feels that if you like the theatrical cut better, you're probably right. But this is the one he likes. And he has this attitude, very nonchalant, very casual. But it's coming from a place where it is of the notion of you will be able to have both. Uh, And it seems now it's actually quite hard to have both versions of it. So... I have never seen the uh, the director's cut before having to do this for the pod because we have, I have it on DVD and I didn't realize and then I was like oh well, okay I'm just going to watch it. I knew of what it was comic book stuff, but um, it's still different than actually seeing it. And then obviously, as I said, you took that DVD last night and me telling you all of that. You're like, ah, I'll still take the the yeah the director's cut um, version. So. Uh, So just to touch that subject first, Mm -hmm. uh, what did you think of it, of of just that element of it? Because usually I think when you hear director's cuts, usually the idea is, oh, that's the better version. Most people have in their brain that's usually the better version. Well, this, I even told you last night, this isn't. Well,
0: it seems like hearing more about, you know, director's cuts over the years, it seems to go both ways. Yeah. yeah, so in, in in this one, he's got the opening narration at the beginning, I remember you told me basically, like, oh, he, he brings up a Greek battle and kind of compares it to the events of this film, Um, and it was over very quickly. It's like he introduced that this battle happened, he said that they fought with courage, and then he said, the, the, and now these boys are going to fight mm. with courage, and I didn't really see much of an analogy there beyond just the fact that the Greeks were courageous back in 400 BC. Um, so, the fact that it was over so quickly kind of was both a relief and also made it feel a bit pointless. Um, and also, and the, as for the transitions, the comic ones, some of them were okay, but others felt, again, also very jarring. Like, the, when the the one that I really... Uh, felt jarred by was the baseball furies one where it was like oh shit the baseball furies and it was just like a reveal shot of like oh there's one of them looking and i could see in my head you know a version of this film without that and it was like oh this would be a pretty nice shot where we didn't have to see text saying oh shit
1: (laughs) the thing that really jars me about the comic book strip uh, aesthetic is is done with animation that was very mm. modern at the time, like the it didn't, color. It didn't palette. feel like a
0: 1979 thing.
1: <laughs> no, it didn't feel like a 1979 thing, and it didn't feel like what comic strips actually looked like back in the day that it's evoking. It looked like what a modern photo, like what then, but even now, what you would create in a Photoshop what pop art m- comic books look like, but it's not, mm. it doesn't have that grit and texture and that faded saturation, but also the right amount of vibrance. It's, it's jarring, but uh, at least in my opinion, it doesn't ruin the movie because the movie is still there. It's just one of those things where it also happens so briefly and infrequently mm. that it's like, uh, I just shrug and go, uh, Okay. I'd rather not have this, but it's not so offensive that I'm going, oh, I wish I could see the real movie that's buried underneath all of this garbage. It's just, every time it happens, I go, oh, okay. Yeah, other than
0: the the one I mentioned, the rest were just like, okay, that's fine. But it does feel like it's from a different time.
1: I really loved watching this the other night. I am a fan of movies like this. Where it's about atmosphere, you have a certain pace to it. The characters aren't really deep, but they are communicated very effectively to the audience what they are. And I like that a lot in cinema. Uh, The brute force simplicity of it. Uh, To bring up that Greek battle thing, this very much has references and a feel of of the Odyssey. We even have sirens with the Lizzie's and it has... and we lose some people along the way. And it just has that grit of the 70s, but also this movie is unabashedly camp and fun and over the top and it just has no real regard for conventionality. Like, it, it, it has a lead guy and a lead girl and their romance is mainly forged by them treating each other like pieces of shit <laughs> because they're street rats they don't have the lovey-dovey romantic stuff the closest you get is at the end he gives her the uh the the corsage that these uh these young people coming from their school dance left on the train and even then he still says it through gritted teeth, why he's giving it to no, her. No, I want to see it go
0: to waste <laughs> and
1: so I had a great time watching this. I was excited to see it, but I'm excited to know what did you think of the Warriors?
0: Yes, so like I said, uh walking into it, I didn't know the general you know main plot of it in my head. I just imagined it would be you know two gangs over a course of maybe a few nights you know, planning some sort of war on each other, and then there's going to be a big fight at the end. I didn't know that it would be, yeah, just all set in one night to the next morning, just trying to get home while basically the whole city is against them. And yeah, it was a really cool time. I really enjoyed that sort of journey that they were going on, where it kind of reminded me of, uh, yeah, I mentioned Rompa Stompa, especially later on when they like got repelled by the the Vietnamese um, and also a little bit of, I guess, Apocalypse Now, which that was also this kind of journey through a setting and seeing like all the sorts of different crazy things going on there. It, this is really one of those films where the setting is what we're exploring through our character's journey. It's like, we get introduced at the very beginning in a very big way to like, oh, this city is full of gangs. Here's all the gangs coming together except the orphans. Uh, You've got this crazy big figure who's making this big impression, he gets killed off, our main character's gang leader gets killed off, and then it's them just trying to get through the wasteland of the city back home.
1: They are blamed for killing this guy. They don't even realise that for a good portion of the time, they're just scattered to the wind. Uh, They are enemy number one for the cops, they're enemy number one for the gangs. They have to try and survive. And it does have that very fable-like quality of once we get back home, we'll be safe. Mm. There's never a moment where that's in doubt. There's never a moment where they question, even once they know all of the gangs want to hurt them and that the truce is basically non-existent for them now. There's never any doubt that once we get home, we'll be safe. Because that's the type of movie this is operating in. Like, that's the type of movie we're living in where some things are just taken at the face value. Like, here's this leader who all of the gangs respect and they all bow down and listen to him. And he's suggesting that they cooperate and band together and take over the city suburb by suburb, borough by borough, like one at a time, we outnumber the police, we can rule this city, and that sets you up, that big meeting, and you see all of these wacky gangs with these silly outfits, there's the mimes, and there's these clowns, and mm. then there's the skinheads, but it's a multiracial skinhead group, and you even see Nazi, there's a whole list on IMDb of all of the gangs and all of their names, mm. and it goes on for ages, and you can see it in the movie. But you, you can tell very early on that this is uh, heightened. Uh, this is very much taking place not in our reality, which makes it hilarious that this movie is R-rated for violence. Mm. And yet the violence in the movie is so subdued. Yeah, I would even argue for back then. But you we have to remember that when this came out, it labeled itself as like, there are this many gangs and this many police. Yeah, I was... so it upset people at the time.
0: Yeah, I was really surprised because I was hearing that a lot of people who dismissed this film just said it was like, oh, it's just a schlocky violence film. When really, like, the violence was kind of over quickly.
1: (laughs) It's brutal because a lot of the action is clearly them just throwing each other and doing stuff pretty real uh there was a great moment where talking about the baseball furies one of the baseball furies hits one of our guys with the baseball and you see a baseball bat and you see like it's made proper impact and and like all of this dust and 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 lint and all that like just flicks up in the air from that person's body where they were just hit with a baseball bat and i and i i react i went oh because you don't get that type of detail in some action movies now where everything's so punchy punchy mm. you get that when you actually hit someone with a bat and you see like their coat and now all this debris and dust and and lint and junk just comes up in the air it was just it made me uncomfortable that made me more that that made me uncomfortable them throwing a guy in a toilet at the mirror and you just see all of this glass breaking everywhere and you're like oh no
0: could you imagine if the director's cut turned those into panels
1: oh man that would have been beautiful (laughs) but uh you enjoyed this overall
0: i did yeah again the setting and the journey was captivating it gave you It gave you a sort of storytelling about the sort of world that they live in. And I think, yeah, that was the main goal of the film. And they even had, like, a line when they finally got to Coney Island at the end. It's like, this is what we fought back to get to. Yeah. Like, brings it back to the setting.
1: So, they get framed for murdering this great leader that everyone respects and cyrus right cyrus and the real killer of cyrus is uh jerry horn from twin peaks (laughs) what's his name david patrick kelly yep yeah he's still active he's still acting he was in the john wick movies which i will bring up in a second because those are very much inspired by the warriors uh but he's a great actor he always plays freaks and he's really fucking off the chain like as soon as you see him with the gun and he's just a little goblin and his hair is everywhere and he, his he, voice is so high is but he's so angry and so energetic you can't help but want to see more of him he didn't give back that money i was <sighs> what money what <laughs> money uh you you knew him for being the guy who says warriors come out to play yes uh
0: i knew that line for a long time didn't necessarily know that it was from the warriors but when i started watching twin peaks the other year and you know i looked up the actor of jerry horn i saw that he was oh he's known for being in the warriors and he he is the one that says that line so that was one thing that i always expected you know in the past two years whenever would eventually get around to watching this film
1: But this movie lives on because of all of these wacky gangs and antagonists and foes. And just to talk about him and his gang, because they really do not factor into the movie too much. They're Mm. wanting to save their own skin. To uh, not be recognized as the ones who started all of this, because yeah, they blame the warriors because one of them saw it happen and and then they got they got n- noticed by this asshole gang, and so they blame the warriors. So, what did you think about them as as the instigators of this and these agents of chaos that are making sure that? Things don't end well for the, the warriors to the point in which they even break the the sacred ground and go to Cody Island and, and want mm, to fight them. They broke the truce.
0: I liked them. Yeah, they were they were fun. They had the like their hats that they wore. They kind of looked a bit I don't know leather manny. Mm. <laughs> they were fun, and I liked that. Uh, I forget the accent again. Jerry Horn was their leader. Um, that he was so short and just his voice was so high and I was going to say non-threatening, but a threatening in a kind of different way where it's like, oh, it really highlights the craziness.
1: And what about why he did any of the things he does in the movie? What did you think about that?
0: Uh, there was some sort of phone call that he had, right?
1: Cause I like it. He
0: likes it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Cause I like doing stuff like that. It's fun. Uh, it gets him going. Uh, he, he's the the agent of chaos. He just does it because that's what he likes to do. He likes to kill. You weren't supposed to bring a gun there. Well, I did, and it was great. I I loved him so much. You can't you can't argue. Such you, a yeah, freak.
0: You can't argue with. Fuck you. I wanted to do it.
1: There. Um, their 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 gentlemanliness when it came to fighting each other at the end and he's just like, Well fuck you, I've got a gun. Like again, he he's like, <laughs> I've outwitted you here. I've got a gun and I'm just gonna shoot you in the head. Did you recognize uh they were at the uh they were filling up their cars with gas? There's the scene where they're filling up their cars with gas, and I think he's on the phone, or somebody's on the phone talking about like, oh, the Warriors are here and we must go make sure that this person... They're at the petrol station filling up their car and the guy who runs the petrol station is an actor we love so much on this podcast. I'll give you a phrase that will help you unlock it. He's just a guy. He's just trying to be a guy. Oh, he's the that guy? Mm. Snyder, was it? John Snyder is an actor that uh, has been... Very much an influence on us because he was in a move, movie. He was in a weird little TV project where he played a bartender who was crazy.
0: Vietnam no War Story.
1: And he kept saying the phrase guy, like the word guy, like, I'm just trying to be a guy.
0: Yeah, he, he was a bartender who was just doing his job. And the main and like a woman who was way too drunk was asking for more drinks. And the main character was like, oh, come on, give it to her, be a guy. And the main character only says that once, and he just keeps coming back
1: to it. Like I'm just trying to be a guy. And he overacts, and he's an anime voice dubber. Would and you die for you? Would you die for me? <laughs> would you die for you? We uploaded the
0: clip onto our YouTube channel. And
1: he was in Babylon Five as one of the most overactive villains the show ever had, Orin <laughs> Zento, where he's an evil, tr- like he's an evil guy that crushes trade unions, and so.
0: You gotta rewatch well, the Warriors for him.
1: Honestly, amazing. But he was here, and I'm like, wow, he's he's underacting. He's barely doing anything.
0: He's probably a few. Well, I can't remember what year of Vietnam War story. was. Oh, that was like
1: late '80s. So. Oh, I thought it was late '70s. No, no. So no. this is young, young yeah. man. You gotta remember Wesley Snipes was in Vietnam War story. Yeah.
0: So uh, so now I've seen Mr. Snyder in the '70s, '80s, and '90s.
1: Go see them in the 2000s now, yeah, and I'll the 60s, sure, sure, and, and the 50s and
0: the 40s, and now, and now, and the 10s, no, 2010s, that is.
1: <laughs> but uh, when it comes to the gangs, there's so many to choose from. What were some of your favorite gangs, uh, whether I've, they're ones they fought or ones you just
0: saw? I really wanted to see something with the mimes in the, in the
1: opening. <laughs> They got a laugh out I of me mean, just that they were there, as the intimidating, as an intimidating gang. Ooh, yeah. mimes! Yeah, uh,
0: both the um the the baseball furies and the ones in the subway who had the uh, roller skates. Mm. Yeah, their lack of making any sound did make them very intimidating. I could see the mimes also kind of pulling that off, especially since you know by the their mimes. nature the mimes already don't make sound.
1: Yeah, I love the orphans. They suck. <laughs> I love them in a different
0: way, very much so.
1: I love they're my favorite thing. In but the you movie. wouldn't you
0: wouldn't mess with them, Ryan, because they've been in the papers. They'll show you the article with that one.
1: They'll wear <laughs> green shirts and jeans. <laughs> the leader has a walky eye and he's like a string bean loser. I loved the orphan. <laughs> just their accents is like, you don't mess with us, we're the orphans. You don't mess with the orphans, <laughs> and they didn't get invited to the meeting. Well, that
0: means that it wasn't a big deal since they weren't invited. Since they
1: weren't invited, <laughs> and when we see, I can't remember what gang it is, but the one who's rallying all of this uh, vitriol to the warriors, the ones who are mourning Cyrus, mm. they when they hear about the orphans being wasted, because <laughs> oh, <like, laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you, you, you had a running. Uh, Well, not gag, but running thing
0: of, like, every time the main characters outwit a gang, you get a cut of the new leader being told that, like, this gang failed. And when it came to the orphans, it was like, they're they're not in our network. It doesn't matter. Who? (laughs) Yeah, we didn't
1: invite him to the meeting. Oh, fuck the orphans. (laughs) Like, they got wiped out. Oh, well. (laughs) I love the orphans because in this story, it's an excuse to have absurd gangland violence and yet in amongst it they give us a group that are objectively losers just just the bottom of the barrel absolute fucking dorks
0: yeah they're the bottom of the gangs that aren't in the mem like the network
1: Uh, so humorous but um, did you have any other ones that you liked? Any other shout outs oh, for you? Were, they
0: were also good. There was another gang in the opening that like wore a bunch of purple vests. <laughs> Those were fun.
1: What about the skinheads? The multiracial skinheads and their big boss.
0: Oh, they, they were alright. I'd, I'd shake their hand
1: with you now i i liked how uh they were chasing them down with the car Mm. and i can't remember i think it was ajax probably one of the guys in the warriors stayed on the pavement to flip him off and then (laughs) went back so that that skinhead hit his two by four against the pole and ruined it yeah and that was just one of those great little touches of how even the warriors when they're on the run are antagonizing these it was, people. It was a
0: good cinematic taunt.
1: It was a very great cinematic taunt. I mean, Ajax does have the famous, one of the other famous lines from the movie when he's uh, about to fight the, the the baseball furies where he threatens to stick that up his ass and make him a popsicle. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> and I do appreciate that uh, when they do get into fights, people go down. like very quickly this this even though it was an action movie and you could argue that the action may not even be the strongest part of the movie i like the almost level of realism there's still absurdist stuff in here and people survive being thrown through things that that would really fuck them up but i do appreciate that yeah, he just punched him once, and that guy's down on the ground. Mm. Like they're not getting up for yeah. a bit uh, of time.
0: Si- similar to the whole idea of like, oh, if we get back home, we're we're safe. we all in the clear. That did kind of read as, yeah, sort of action logic of like, okay, once once we knock them down, you know, they're not going to be a threat anymore, even if they're still alive. Like you saw all the baseball furies like crawling away, like.
1: Ugh. And when members of the warriors uh, fall to the wayside, they treat them like they're dead even if they're not dead there's one that do- there are some that don't make it obviously but then there's ajax just gets arrested by the cops and they treat it like he died mm. goodbye he's, yeah has gone now
0: earlier in the film just before they started talking to the leader of the greatest gang the orphans um they did straight up say they're like yeah we're eight and they're 30 like they're hi- uh, emphasizing the fact that there's only eight of them So when you, you know, that's a small number, one digit, two hands, you can count that up. So when you lose one, it's like, oh man, you just lost an eighth of your force.
1: Yeah. And that's what made the orphans, uh, an intimidating gang on paper, Because the whole point was at the meeting, you're only supposed to bring nine members of your group. So all of these gangs that are in this one location are all just nine members. And you see when they're fighting against the warriors, none of the gangs are teaming up to do this. They're all doing it in their own group so as time goes on the the gang of the warriors gets smaller but the gangs that they're fighting always have the same number of nine hence when at the end the guy who's taken over cyrus's gang when he arrives at coney island it means something because he was the guy whose home turf it, the, that was the gang's home turf so he has all of his dudes which is dozens of them there's so many oh yeah every time it's like it's an army
0: yeah they've got that very militaristic kind of thing going on
1: what did you think of the uh overall visual presentation and uh, direction of this because there's for me there's many striking shots we're talking about the guy who took over cyrus's gang who doesn't get a name like this is a movie where characters some of most of them don't get names they're just that gang and to me he was a great uh symbol of the visual language of the movie there's this one great shot where he's marching along like a drill sergeant barking down these orders at them and then he snaps into place and turns and he's got these big sunglasses on and you can see the reflection of the people in his sunglasses but not the camera or the lights or anything that's filming him and i was just Looking at it, thinking, how did they get that shot with mm. these glasses? I was, I was uh, very impressed by the the technicals of this movie because this would be boring if it wasn't presented well. Because it is a movie about they even say it, we're just running away. That's what the movie is is mainly people just running away.
0: As, yeah, as much as there is to say about like all the outdoors scenes, you know, building up the world of this New York City. Um, A lot of the indoor shots or locations did have a lot of stylistic stuff going on, like every time we cut back to uh, that leader of that gang, uh, to someone tell him, like, oh, you know, this gang just failed, it it does feel like this kind of weird dark space where you might see a weird coloured wall in the background, and it just almost feels like this menacing, villainous castle shot of, like, ooh... My lord, we—they failed this time again. Or whenever we cut to like the DJ, and we only saw her lips. And again, also the weird red background there—it almost feels like, yeah. As much as we talk about like the comic book transitions, are there these transitions are already in the film itself, and they—they they have much more of an impact than, yeah, the comic book panels.
1: They help with the with the tone. You said the DJ, where we just see her mouth, her lips. There's even a bit where we see a little bit of her eye, but not much, and her quivering lips. That's the thing about them; they're just not just talking, but really there's a there's a movement to them. And she's got these bright white teeth, and she's the Greek chorus in this story. And since she's presented in such a specific and abstract way, it helps us as viewers buy into the reality that we're in. Because I think for many people, maybe even yourself included, you hear or you see even the title, The Warriors. Oh, it's an R rated movie, it's about gangland violence you expect something more like Romper Stomper, something with more of a dour, dark, oppressive, you know, crimey, grimy, and crimey feel to it. But as you stated, this was a movie that eventually got made into a game by Rockstar. And you are far bigger of a player of Rockstar's games than I am, but... Wouldn't you say that Rockstar's games make a bit more sense when you look at something like The Warriors because many of the GTA games for people from afar they look at it and react like they do with The Warriors. It's like oh, violence and nudity and sex and oh my god it's this serious thing that's corrupting our children Ooh, but then you We're in
0: the 2000s. <laughs>
1: but then you play those games and they have an inherent fun silliness to them and they have Sam Jackson being this evil cop, and they have whatever else it is. Oh, here we go again. They have a bit of that tongue-in-cheek quality, and even a little bit of a detachment from reality quality that you you can even see in the DNA here of uh, the the Warriors. I mean, what do you think about all of that?
0: Yeah, watching this film, it just seems like there is so much potential for like extra materials. And you know, when I was reading up about the film afterwards it was almost difficult to get information about the world of this film alone because it was drawing from like comics and the games like you mentioned that the the leader of the gang with the sunglasses like doesn't have a name like i accidentally stumbled upon his name like a million times because there is just so much material about him
1: i i i truly adore it and The visuals, Walter Hill is a great director. He's done many, many things. 48 Hours is the big one, I do believe, which has Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. Oh, wait, I've seen that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And once you think about that, you go, yeah, of course it's by the same guy. Because it has that, again, I want to use the phrase brute force mentality. Yes, for sure. And that there is arguably, you know, one of the first what you would call the traditional buddy cop films. But when you rewatch, if you ever have watched Forty Eight Hours, rewatch it now. Or if you haven't watched it before, watch it now. And it's a very, it's a very dirty, filthy. That's what movie. I remember about and it. Yeah, it's unflinchingly violent, and racism is there, but it's really funny as well. Mm. And that's Walter Hill for you. That's what he gives you. He gives you. Uh, that balancing act of fun entertainment but also giving you something that has uh, more merit to it than just disposable throwaway entertainment and so you get something like the warriors here where it's a movie that is about people running away so how do you make that interesting? Not only do you have action sequences, which yes, you could look at it and go, "Oh, that's not matching up to today's quality," but there's a there's a thrill and a to it because there's a almost like guerrilla filmmaking like quality to those action sequences. The camera is very shaky. You, like I mentioned before, it really really does feel like at many points the actors are hitting each other with things or about to hit each other with things, and so there's fear in the stunts and the performances you can you can just drink in the atmosphere mm. of even them hitting each other with bats like it's a sword fight which isn't that great <laughs> yeah just that statement alone that there's a baseball bat but a fight but it's done like it's a a duel with swords is, is great but when you watch it it's not flashy or over the top it's not mad max where mad max has all these elaborate car stuff and here's a guy who who does a pinwheel in the air and it's all crazy and that has its merits too and that had some layer of fear because you know those are real people in cars but here it doesn't have all of that panache it is just what would be the fanciest thing i grab that guy and throw him through a door Oh, what happens if we uh, grab this person and threw him through a glass door? Like, just things like that is uh, what really brings it to life. But again, it's shot composition. Lighting. Oh, my God. The lighting in this movie is amazing because this is pl- taking place at night. Mm-hmm. My favorite scene, visually speaking, was when they were walking through the park and they see the woman on the park bench, and Ajax has the hots for her, and he wants to go back and We eventually find out she's a police woman. but my favorite shot visually is when the other two come back to go get him, and they're in the darkness, watching him get dragged away and arrested, and they just have this haunted look on their face, and even like the where they are in the shadows and of the night makes it feel really ethereal reminded me a lot of actually the i know you didn't care for this because you were like i needed light but it reminded me of the back half of uh, the neon demon in that Mm. way where you shoot in a darkness and it adds this really dreamy surreal quality to it but to the to the layman they just go oh it's just a dark looking scene man but i don't know it just transports me in a mood rather than just looking at it as what is just on the screen as just, oh, yeah, as people stand there looking at their friend being arrested in the dark, that's it.
0: Yeah, the, the darkness in this film is really interesting and effective. You have a lot of scenes uh, or moments uh, where you don't have our characters in the dark. Like all the scenes where they go on the train, which is you know very lit, very artificially lit, and it's got all the white walls, the graffiti And similar to what we were talking about with the Coney Island thing, where it was, uh, you know, when they get there, they'll be safe. All of the scenes that we have on the train are these kind of weird, almost otherworldly, like, safe transitional moments where our main characters can just talk for a little bit. Uh, you know, before they have to get off at their next stop and fight their way through the next thing, which kind of, I guess, also goes back to the whole Greek theater, Greek battle kind of allegory that the main uh, main character, the director's going for.
1: It's like they're on the ship sailing the sea to the next thing that awaits them in their odyssey. Mm. A thing that I really liked about the train uh, carriages and carts is there are Uh, Only a couple of moments where you had what you're talking about, but then the dangers or reality invade that. So when they're sitting there waiting and then they realize the cop walks behind them and they're like, oh, cops. And then they have to run out of there and there's a whole sequence. And then that leads to the first major, like first... Death in the group that isn't, you know, or like we lost the leader of the group in the uh, when the it all broke out into hell. But like, once they're on the run, this is the first casualty that they've had once they've been on the run, knowing that danger's around them. And he gets thrown on the train tracks and he gets run down, but uh. You get moments like that or when they notice the the other gangs are coming for them and so they come out or, or one of my favorites like I mentioned before was at the very end there's these young kids similar age to our main characters probably the same age and they've just come from their school dance, their school prom and they're giggling and laughing and then there's just this awkward silence as they're looking at our main characters and how filthy and dirty they are. And they're scared of them. Now our main characters are looking at them, looking at them with a mixture of of disgust and envy mm. and longing of like this could have been us. And she even tries to adjust her hair, and he puts it down like, no, don't even bother. Don't try and emulate them. Don't try and fucking mm. please them. Yeah,
0: it's two two different worlds looking at each other.
1: And the train carriage is a recurring thing of safety but even within those danger and reality still enters them or surrounds them i just it's a great running bit in the film Mm. hence it's a really memorable moment when they actually finally get off the train it's the last stop and you mentioned it. they look at the land that they have been trying to get back to and it's like this is what we were fighting for Mm. You also this is have, what we're get back to.
0: You also have the juxtaposition of like, oh, when they finally look at their Coney Island land, the the sun's out, so it's like light is a symbol of safety. I say that as I think of the one well, the roller skate fight in the bathroom, which is also lit, so maybe not, but yeah, that's sort of night though, isn't it? They're at a train station and there's light. That's it's fl- that's, that's, that's my foolproof fluorescent allegory. Fluorescent
1: <laughs> lighting is different than yeah sunlight. Uh, this is a very, uh, when you think about this, this is a movie that has garnered a lot of acclaim and has helped influence things. Clearly, I mentioned this last episode that there's a lot of cheaper ripoffs of the Warriors, Escape from New York, Mad Max, it's just an inevitable thing that happens. But there's also great pieces of work that clearly are influenced by this or inspired by this or, or even maybe homage it at times as, as well. And there's a rock star game, as as stated, but... I I think it's fair to say that uh, when you look at Rockstar's games like the early Grand Theft Auto games, they're clearly influenced by something like this. When I was a younger kid, before the Rockstar became as big as it was and Grand Theft Auto jumped to 3D, Mm. I remember the Grand Theft Auto games being these 2D top-down things where
0: yeah, very arcadey.
1: Arcadey, but what they were remembered for, for many people in my sphere, was all of the fun, wacky gangs that you get to play with. Mm. Like, here's the, and you, you, you're better remembering these. But here's the gang with the smiley yeah, face the, on their the car. loonies,
0: who are yeah, mental hospital escapees,
1: and. I, I and even now, I think when you when you play some of those Grand Theft Auto games or other things like that, you you can still look at this movie and see its lingering effects on even th- th- gaming, let alone movies and and television. Uh, there's just so many things. Uh, John Wick, I brought up earlier. I'll touch on that. It has many references and loving things to say. Some actors from these movies show up in the John Wick movies. Like I said, the uh, the the villain in this, who's played by David Patrick Kelly, uh, he is in the John, first two John Wick movies. He's their cleaner. He's the guy that comes in and cleans up the bodies. And he's very fun. He's a very fun character. His whole thing is he's very businessman and jovial. And he's like, hello, John. Do we need something cleaned? And he comes in. In the latest movie, uh, this isn't a spoiler, but if you're worried because it's still fairly new, I guess skip a bit. But they, John Wick is on the run, and he's running from all of these gangs, and he's making his way across Paris. Mm-hmm. And to inform the gangs where John Wick is, we cut to a DJ... And it's just her mouth, and this one has a nose ring. And she plays all of these songs that are, like, relevant to... Like in this. Like in this, yeah. And it is it is just directly a the Warriors riff. And uh, recently online, people on Twitter were really gushing about this because uh, who's this lady and people making things and uh, you'll like this to tie back into our own podcasting history. Somebody on Twitter tweeted out like one of those things was like uh it was done better in the original version of this but instead of giving the warriors they gave Patton Oswalt in Starsky and Hutch as the <laughs> DJ in the disco and Patton Oswalt replied to this being like no 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 seriously though I I, I didn't do anything only references the this movie of course being a, a gentleman, he's like, no, this. But I was very happy to see Pat and Oswald get a shout-out for doing this type of thing in starskin Skin Hutch.
0: They had, like,
1: the close-up on the lips and that, too, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we saw his full body. Yeah, I remember we saw his amusing. full body, but, yeah. he talked. I remember him talking into the microphone. But very amusing, just weird little call-out. But, yeah, The Warriors definitely is one where, if you really think about it, there's just so many things that, has has recycled through what this was doing and uh and this again is taking from many different source materials and places and fables and comic books and things where this is like For instance, a few years back, The Raid came out. Have you ever seen The Raid Redemption?
0: I remember the title, but no, I didn't see it.
1: It's a really great action movie. Uh, I can't remember where it was from, but an Asian action movie. And the premise is two cops have to go into this complex and go to the top. And it's filled with criminals that they have to beat up and fight. And that's it. That's the movie and it's excellent but so it's all
0: set like them just going yeah
1: going up and the judge dread movie that came out a few years ago dread is it's the raid it's the same plot but with judge dread in it uh so that that idea of just we have to make our way through a bunch of criminals to get to the thing is not new to this movie but this is that type of movie where it made it so well and did such a monumental job that it's a watershed for something like that like how mad max after a certain point was like oh if you try and do a movie is set in the post-apocalypse and you've got people who are looking for fuel you can't help but think of mad max but that's not With, with,
0: with me not knowing that this film was you know that type of story Um, it it is kind of funny that the film that I picked on the podcast ended up being like that, because I feel like uh, we've done a lot of films over the years that kind of follow that formula. Like the ones I always bring up, uh, Thunderpants and The Bubble Boy, um, and we didn't do it on the podcast, but I also put Apocalypse Now in that camp, which is kind of funny that, you know, all these films, I kind of categorize the same. So it's really surprising to me that I'm also putting The Warriors uh, in that little group
1: different executions different approaches different tones different yeah. moods is there anything else you want to point out or go over when it comes to the warriors the warriors um come out to play eh? i mean what did you think <laughs> of that scene you've heard of it but what was it like to watch it
0: i, I didn't know that it'll be set during the daytime i thought it was mm. be set like night inside a building but yeah, the clinking of the glasses, or it's like he's got a marble in it or something, like a Ramoon bottle, moon mm. bottle. Um, yeah, it was... Cause
1: he's tapping them together, but he's got his fingers in them, and he's tapping them. Mm.
0: <laughs> it, it was really well done. I enjoyed it. And the fact that he said it, like, multiple times, and each time was a little bit different. It's like, ooh, take your pick.
1: A little bit more crazy and deranged. Uh, yeah. So I don't have too much else to say. I like the uh, I like uh, a female character who was with the orphans. Oh, mercy. She was very good. Oh, I like the Lizzie's as well, even though mm. it was clearly a trap and the one character who is obviously gay figured it out. Um <laughs> that was actually a really well-directed sequence where he's uncomfortable and he's looking at the Lizzies and he's looking at them kissing yeah, each other that... and kissing the guys, it felt like it was from a different movie in terms of just how it was shot and-
0: Coming back to the word I was using before, it felt very otherworldly, but in this case we had one character who realised, like, oh, there's something going on here. And I liked where you mentioned before about, like, how they were the allegory of the sirens. That was a really good one.
1: So that is The Warriors, uh, a good cast of actors, some of which only did this, and some of them went on to do so much more, and one of them, the lead, Michael Beck, who played Swan, he uh, he's had a very interesting career. He was in Babylon 5, mm-hmm. a show we both watched and uh, we both enjoy. He was... Uh, abel horn i've mentioned him a few times yeah i looked him up afterwards
0: and i could kind of remember the episode but oh, how really. could you forget
1: he was a cyber zombie <laughs> but he has a fascinating and sad career where this was really his first movie first big success it even says on imdb that ronald reagan let him know that he liked this movie yeah he said reagan that on wikipedia liked, as well liked the movie and he was primed to be like a star. He has the looks, he has the attitude, he can play that stoic Clint Eastwood type role very well, uh, handsome. And then he followed this up with Xanadu, which is one of the uh, arguably yeah. one of the worst movies I've made. And then he followed that up with Mega Force, which is also a awful bad movie. And so his career took a massive hit and never blossomed into what people thought it was going to be, what he was primed to be. And so he's flickered in and out of acting. And I I just find that interesting because we've seen – that's a story as old as time, right? We've seen that happen even still to this day where there are some actors where it looks like, oh, they're primed to be the next big thing. And then they just aren't because they make one bad movie.
0: Yeah, and we've – even for ones that had careers, like we've done a couple of films like The Love Guru. It was like, oh, this sort of killed a career.
1: Or when we did Savages and we talked about uh, Kick-Ass. What's the actor? Aaron... Taylor Johnson? Yeah. Where he was primed to be a bigger actor than he was, hence he was in that movie where it was, hey, do you want to be in an Oliver Stone movie and you're acting opposite of Benicio Del Toro and all of that. And his career is kind of lessened and floundered and i know now he's kind of getting back up he's going to be craven the hunter by the way mm. i, I do remember crazy
0: i do remember around that time i saw a couple of films with him in it and all of them were yeah not great it was, no. wasn't he in godzilla as well
1: yeah he was the lead guy in godzilla yeah the bore you see they tried and then they've given up mm. they were prepping him same with jai courtney for instance where he was like i think he was in the divergent movies and then he was the guy who played John Connor in that. Salvation. Thought, no, Genesis. Genesis. Salvation. It was uh, Christian Bale. Oh, of course, yeah. The infamous behind-the-scenes meltdown with Christian yes. Bale with Salvation, but uh, no, Jai no! Courtney. Then <laughs> the only good thing he's ever done in his career is play Captain Boomerang in the Suicide Squad movies, where he actually just gets to play a fucking little freak, and instead of like the big handsome guy. But other than that are you now excited to play the game
0: Yeah I would actually if cuz I've heard this game's actually pretty good like it would be interesting to see how they expand it all
1: Most of the voice cast are the actors from the movie uh whether you know some of them aren't some of them uh are different characters yeah. serving the same function originally uh Cyrus was in that game yeah, you're but telling they never me. asked the actor for his likeness or permission or even to be in it mm. so he sued them
0: for like quarter of a million I think yeah
1: and won yeah. And then he's no longer in the game. So even if you played it, it's not, you know, hmm. the music is different. Obviously, you were telling me about how it's one of those games where the licensed music music. has changed, so it's all fucked. But even then, you probably wouldn't have played the original version of the game.
0: As long as I get more orphans.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anything else you want to say about the orphans? You, You said, like, you had one thing you loved about them. Did you say what it was? One thing you had about the orphans. You said that before when I was like, I love the orphans. You're like, there's one thing I have about the orphans.
0: I don't remember saying that, but I do remember saying that I love the orphans. They were great.
1: (laughs) They're they're the orphans.
0: I will say from their scene, you know, you brought up Mercy, the the girl of the film. Her chicken impression was really good. (laughs)
1: Like
0: as mocking as it was, like it it sounded really good.
1: (laughs) That's it. So it is my turn to recommend a film. That's actually true. On the next episode. And I think it's time. You recommended The Warriors. It made me think about another movie that we have danced around in the pod, on the podcast and in our life, it's time to do Escape from New York. Ooh. It's time to show you finally- It's another one that I've been meaning When to. I say, oh, no, no, Snake from the Metal Gear games is Snake Plissken from Escape from New York, and basically a lot of the stuff that Snake is in those games is just the Escape from whatever movies, because there's two of them. Mm. Um, and you've always been like, yeah, 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 sure, sure. And I'm like, no, really? So hopefully you can watch it now and be like, oh, no, yeah, really. It, it is a lot of a lotness. We'll
0: see. Crack's fingers.
1: Oh, he really did crack them. Now, I have two things to enforce upon you for this movie.
0: Yeah, watch the director's cut because it has no, comic no. transitions.
1: No, <laughs> um, two things. Mm-hmm. Watch this on a TV. Okay. And watch it with the lights off at night. This is a night movie. This is one of those where you want that atmosphere. Because it's a John Carpenter film. You know of John Carpenter if you have not already watched a John Carpenter movie. He's is He is very much a... you got to soak in that vibe. And this is very much one of those. I'm just putting I w- that down as a I rule. Will,
0: I will watch it on TV if Australian streaming lets me.
1: Oh, maybe. If it will let you I don't know where it is on Australian streaming. I can look it up right now. Uh but it'll be somewhere. People Escape from New York, starring Kurt Russell, Donald Pleasance, and uh there are others. I won't give it away for Bartek, oh, but the there's Donald uh, but there's a certain presents. somebody that there's a certain somebody who plays the evil warlord that he'll like very much. Ooh, so that is Patrick it. smash. Oh, if only. Bruce Cook, I mean, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was
0: writing Escape from New and I was about to write Smash.
1: So that is it, people. As mentioned, we are on social media, Facebook and Twitter under Spit and Polish Presents. You can email us over at spitandpolished at gmail.com if you want to contact us more directly. Uh, we are also on YouTube as well as, as as well as all of the podcast hosting sites under Spit and Polish Presents. We can be found easily. You can rate and review the show to your heart's content. Uh, and that is all I have to say. Remember to be kind to each other.
0: Ryan, uh, the film Escape from New York, can I watch it on a TV? It's on Stan. Uh,
1: that's a that's a streaming site here in Australia. So that's a thumbs up from Bart. That's
0: one that I have access to so I can do what you say. Yes! I won't watch it during the day. Or else I'll have to pay. (laughs) And for that, I mean, no way.